Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews there anytime. Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to remind you that I do another podcast called Around the World in 80s Movies. If you're interested in some of the Star Wars movies, I actually did the original trilogy on that show, the first three episodes, in fact. Please do a search for Around the World in 80s Movies wherever you're listening to this podcast. Today I'm going to be looking at, I gave you a big hint there at what I was going to be talking about. Today's review will be on Solo, a Star Wars story, a 2018 film, action slash sci-fi. It's a PG-13 rated film because of some sequences of science fiction action and violence. The runtime is two hours and 15 minutes. The cast includes Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, Amelia Clark, Woody Harrelson, Donald Glover, Junus Swotmo, who is playing Chewbacca in this film, Paul Bettany, Fandy Newton, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Jean Favreau provides the voice of one of the characters, as does Linda Hunt. And there are smaller roles. I won't ruin all of the cameo appearances, but Warwick Davis makes an appearance here. Ron Howard is the director, although there's more to it than that, and I'll get into that in a moment. The screenplay is credited to Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan. Now, Solo, A Star Wars Story is the second release in this spin-off series of films that thus far seek to tell a few tales of the past in regards to some of the main characters and their situations that we find in the main Star Wars story arcs, thus far branching off of the original trilogy for those films. Obviously, from the title, Solo, A Star Wars Story, you know that this one's going to revolve around one of the more beloved of characters in the Star Wars universe, the ever-cocky Han Solo, and how he came to prominence as one of the galaxy's most rascally of smugglers. The action in Solo starts off on Han's home planet of Corellia, known as one of the poorest and most oppressive slaver worlds in the Empire's Dominion, Solo has big dreams of being a pilot of his own ship in the deepest of space, hopefully doing so with his girlfriend and his partner in crime, Kira, to co-pilot Kira, played here by Amelia Clark. Unfortunately, the two become separated while they're embarking on their plans to try to escape Corellia. Han ends up escaping and eventually turns into a soldier for the Empire, He hoped that the uh, Imperial forces would allow him to become a pilot, but he ends up being on the front lines. Things go sour soon afterward, but in the kerfuffle involving Solo's battlefield action, he finds himself allying with other thieves in the ranks, including a man named Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson. He's this leader of a professional smuggling team, and Han finds a new fast friend in Wookiee Chewbacca. This new group that's just formed is out to obtain a sizable amount of coaxium, which is this insanely valuable and very volatile substance that, when refined, is perhaps the greatest sources of fuel in the galaxy. The trouble is, any known place with enough coaxium to steal resides in some place that is either highly guarded or very highly deadly to encroach upon. If they fail in securing the coaxium, they're going to end up living lives as fugitives from the clutches of Crimson Dawn, which is this ruthless crime syndicate represented in this film by a high-ranking criminal called Dryden Voss, played by Paul Bettany, who happens to be cohabitating now, three years later, with Solo's former flame, Kira. Now, some of the things that we already know about Han Solo from the previous Star Wars films are explained here in this adventure. For our benefit, we get the beginnings of his friendship with Chewbacca, his frenemy status with 
Lando Calrissian, his induction into spaceflight and smuggling, his obtaining of his familiar blast pistol, the ownership eventually of the Millennium Falcon, and how he came into the possession of the gold dice that he puts within the Millennium Falcon, and also the means by which he achieved untold speeds in the infamous Kessel Run. There's even another situation in which Han Solo has to choose whether to shoot first, so everything that's kind of iconic about Han Solo gets thrown into the film here. We even get an explanation for some things we didn't even expect any explanation from, such as how Han got his last name of Solo, and perhaps even most absurdly, why the Millennium Falcon has a notch in its nose. Not in this film, but left open for a potential follow-up is Han's initial dealings with Jabba the Hutt, the beginnings of which are alluded to, but not really fully explored here in this film, despite a rather lengthy 2-hour and 15-minute runtime for Solo. This one's directed by Ron Howard. Howard took over the project very famously and very well publicized in the middle of a production when those who were overseeing the project for Disney were disenchanted with the much zanier and less reverent direction that was being taken by the original directors that were slated for this film, the farcical comedy maestros Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who continue to get an executive producer credit for the film. Lord and Miller's film was dubbed by some of the casting crew as Space Ventura because it resembled a lot of the Ace Ventura vibe. Howard here is brought in to make something a little bit more traditional for Star Wars films. He's working from a script from, speaking of tradition, the father and son team of Lawrence and Jonathan Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan, of course, he's held in high regard within the Star Wars franchise because he worked on the scripts for The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and most recently did some scripting work for The Force Awakens. The emphasis from Ron Howard appears to be on big action set pieces. He wants to propel most of the story with those action set pieces. When it's not in action mode, Solo rarely stops for long with prolonged conversations before we're whisked back to another locale that requires either an explosive escape or perhaps an elaborate break-in. The special effects work here for Solo, despite the fact that we had a big regime change in the middle of it, is still top-notch for this production. There's plenty of eye candy that's employed for those who enjoy that sort of thing primarily in their space adventures. Holy CG characters are pretty minimal this time out, thankfully, compared to other recent Star Wars films. Relegated to primarily a, a John Favreau-voiced Rio Durant, who's this creature with four arms who isn't in the film a great deal comparatively. He's not that important to the overall film. Now, as far as how I feel about the film, it's kind of a mixed bag. I want to separate the positives and negatives here. The things that I think are positive here, I want to emphasize. Alden Ehrenreich, I do think, is completely acceptable as a young Han Solo he avoids doing an impression of Harrison Ford, which is very thankful, but he still exhibits plenty of requisite comical charm, the rascally guile that's befitting of the Han Solo character. He lacks some of Harrison Ford's indelible presence in the role. You know, anybody would have an uphill battle. I don't know that anybody but Harrison Ford can really fill the shoes of Harrison Ford in this role. Donald Glover, I think, is truly a spot-on casting, though, for portraying a young Lando Calrissian. Of course, he was played by Billy D. Williams in the original Star Wars trilogy, at least the second and third parts. He exhibits all of the cool, the charisma, the handsomeness that's required of that character, but he also gives him surprising depth during a couple of key scenes. I think this portrayal of Lando Calrissian will probably be the one that sticks, I think. There's also a real scene stealer, a kind of surprise, in a droid in the form of L337. L3 is given a female voice and the equal rights for droids kind of persona. She's voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. 
The droid serves as Lando's snarky partner in more than just flying the Falcon. There's a lot of good Western iconography within this film as well. I really like that. It's employed during the train robbery, which is, of course, a Western staple. The shootouts here are very much done in the old Western tradition. And that offers a nice touch, at least visually, that harkens back to the original series in terms of taking a lot of its elements from Westerns and old samurai flicks, of course. Now, the downsides of the film here, I feel like Solo is a bit of a slow burner for a film because it really takes a long time to kind of kick in with any kind of momentum, despite some very prolonged and early action sequences that probably would be very stunning and very exciting if we were at all invested into the story by the time we get into them. But unfortunately, it puts the cart before the horse by putting the action first before the characters. Paul Bettany's baddie, Dryden, doesn't really make for a particularly interesting foe. He has scars and he's menacing. He's kind of a placeholder here, though, for a bad guy. This film is more about introducing the good guys we came to know and love in their later years, so the emphasis is not really there to make Dryden at all an interesting villain. Cinematography here, I, I feel like this is one that's going to cut both ways. It's shot in a very dark fashion from what we're accustomed to seeing in a Star Wars movie. Maybe that will set it apart for some people, but I do think that it does take some getting used to. It does have more vibrant moments that pop up when necessary, and they actually do evoke a little bit more of that Star Wars look and feel. But for whatever reason, that dark and almost monochromatic style for a lot of this film doesn't really work for me for the franchise. John Powell's score is fine. It doesn't really make an impact emotionally, though, in the way that John Williams' score tends to do. John Williams' score actually kicks into the mix from time to time in the film. I would say that moments that work well for the score are really hearkening back to that John Williams score, which I think really sets the tone of nostalgia and also just works better than what any of these new composers are bringing into the mix. Solo as a film at times also feels like a checklist of iconic items to which we already ascribe to the titular character. He accumulates all of these things in one rather small portion of his overall existence. You can even say that it really spans maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks. All of that stuff gets kind of shoehorned into this adventure. Meanwhile, those things that are new to the Solo story seem pretty significant, maybe too significant to lie completely absent of their existence during the four films in which we've already witnessed the character we expect so many things that have affected his life to still be around, at least in his thoughts or in his actions. Obviously, those films were written without any of the events in this film in mind, per se, except for that which we already know. So by offering all of this new stuff, it kind of begs the question, you know, why we never heard about any of these activities before. I suppose you could explain that one away if you really want to. But uh, Solo shares a trait with that prior Star Wars story, Rogue One, came out a couple of years ago, in that it breaks out of its inherent staleness, the lack of risks that are involved. It has a very rousing final half, just like Rogue One did, that delivers the goods that you'd been hoping for from the film all along. So, you know, it finishes well, I think, even though up to then it's really kind of sluggish, and I, I feel like it stays in first and second gear a little too much, even though there are a lot of big action set pieces. It just doesn't really get you into the film the way that a lot of other Star Wars films, at their best, really do. So if pacing, if tempo, if intrigue, if plot developments that delight during the final few settings could have been there from the outside, I think we'd be talking about a very delightful surprise for Solo, a Star Wars story to recommend coming back for all viewers instead of one that's merely adequately entertaining for established fans only. 
The odds of rekindling the old magic, though, at this point seems kind of futile, especially as Disney seems to play everything so safe with the properties. But as Han Solo once said, never tell me the odds. We continue to hope that they're going to strike pay dirt and deliver something along the lines of the original Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back. But at this point for the Star Wars movies, I guess the more appropriate Han Solo quote is, I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. And that's what you get here with Solo, a Star Wars adventure. I'm going to give Star Wars a solo story three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do think that it's recommended for those people who are big Star Wars fans. I think you'll get enough of your money's worth to consider it time well spent. I don't think that if you're waiting for the Star Wars films to really rekindle any of that old magic, you're going to get that here. It really does deliver the goods that you might be expecting. It doesn't really deliver more than that. I would say it's more of a bottom tier or lower half film in the Star Wars filmography. A missed opportunity in a way, but still, I think, adequately entertaining enough for those people who don't mind spending 10 bucks to go see this on the big screen. Three stars out of four for Solo. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you did, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button and you'll continue to get all of my reviews throughout the course of this year and beyond. If you ever want to write to me, you can find my contact information on my website. You can go to quipster.net. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. And please let me know what you think about Solo. I'm sure this is a film that's going to cut both ways in terms of fan reactions and also fan expectations. But as with all Star Wars films, at least since the original trilogy, people are going to fight over it no matter what happens. But I will say at least it's less divisive than The Last Jedi. Until next time, thanks everyone. And enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies.